Good morning, everybody. How are we doing this chilly morning? I woke up this morning. I said, I am not going to be. I had different clothes laid out. I had a different shirt laid out. And I went and got my cozy cardi today. I said, I'm going for full Mr. Rogers vibes. And I'm just going to be warm today. Amen. So hopefully you feel cozy in the family this morning. Amen. It's good to be in God's house. So just thinking about this song, didn't we put, I think we put Pastor Connie to work today with those announcements. That was a lot of announcements, right? So you know what, you might need to go on to YouTube and just watch those announcements again and write the important things down. That's a great thing about having our service uh, live streamed as well, is you can go to YouTube if you forget something and write something back down and, and double check on some stuff. So yeah, we got a lot of things going to be happening at Warden over the next few months, and we just need to, you to pay attention and to get involved, to get plugged in. Amen? Oh, man. Yo. If I just said, hey, everybody, I made a big pot of homemade chili, and it's in the basement for you guys all to go have a bowl, there'd be a bigger amen for that, wouldn't there? Listen, we got a lot of things happening. And, you know, the serve class and our... Uh, pardon me, the shape class and learning, you know, what your spiritual gifting is and where you can get plugged into the life of Warden is so important. Everything we're going to be doing is, is so important and, and, uh, and part of moving forward and reaching Scarborough and Toronto for Jesus. Amen? Amen. I just, I love this new song that Joel taught this morning. Let me just read. Sometimes I find when I listen to songs, it's good to just Go get the, the lyrics and read it as a poem as well. And just let it speak to your heart. Just listen to these verses. It says, I am holding on to faith because I know you'll make a way. And I don't always understand that I don't always get to see, but I will believe it. I will believe it. The second verse says, I'm standing on your word. I'm calling heaven down to earth. We pray it, right? Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And you will fight my enemies and you will end, it will this will end in victory i believe it i believe it you were faithful then and you are faithful now i mean we sing these words cuz they're true amen we sing them because we want to offer a sacrifice of praise and and to give our attention to jesus and i can't um you know think come to church and not think about god's faithfulness so it's a great thing to be singing about uh, last week, we got into the Word, and we talked about uh, the idea of looking out. And it's really, these sermon last week and this week is really about the family of believers and how we are with each other. And uh, last week, we talked about the importance of looking out for each other as a body of Christ. Many times, that involves a restoration. And the whole context of this passage that we're looking at in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 10, is in the context of re restoration. So you need to keep that in mind as we go down through uh, this passage again. We used the illustration last week from Howard Hendricks and, uh, that told of a young man's restoration experience. And the young man described it this way. And I just want to uh, remind you of what I said. It says, it seemed like he was out to sea in deep water, deep trouble, and all his friends were on the shore hurling biblical accusations at his, him about justice, penalty, and wrong. But there was one Christian brother who actually swam out to get me and would not let me go. I fought him, but he pushed aside my fighting, grasped me, put a life jacket around me, and took me to shore. By the grace of God, he was the reason I was restored. He would not let me go. 
I ask the question as believers who are called to look out for one another, are we willing to get wet? Will we be the people on the shore hurling the biblical accusations and pointing fingers and saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person? Or would we be the person that dives in and says, I'm not letting them drown? Do we let our pride lead us into judgment of that person comparing their troublesome situation to our holy estate? Or do we see a member of the family in need and feel the Spirit compel us to dive in and help? We are reminded that there was likely divisiveness in the Church of Galatia at the time that consequently led to the mistreatment of or even shunning of brothers and sisters. And there were likely arrogant leaders as well. And, they mis- and the, some of the leaders were even mistreated. Uh, which is why we see this parenthetical verse 6. I didn't even mention it last week because it is a bit of a parenthesis where it reminds the church to take care of their instructors. instructors. Uh, but Galatians 6, uh, 1-10, to when you look at last week and this week together, is written in the context of restoration, but we should not ignore the theme of accountability. And this is where we're going to go a little bit today. It addresses both personal and mutual accountability. Last week we looked at the mutual accountability. We'll talk a little bit about that today, but there's also personal accountability. It's about how we should treat one another, believer or not, but especially, and this passage highlights, especially within the body of believers, especially amongst brothers and sisters. This week we'll look closer at how, in order to look out for one another, We really need to look in at our own choices and hold ourselves accountable to the Spirit of God. So let's read Galatians. We're going to pick it up at verse 7. Not the whole letter. We're not going to read all of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, we're going to pick it up at verse 7, and we're going to read down through to verse 10. It says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. May God bless the reading of his word. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that you, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, of whom we have the pleasure of being in the presence of today. I pray that the Holy Spirit would be the primary communicator in this room, and that I wouldn't get in the way of what you want to speak, O God, but that I would be a vessel in the effort. And so, Father, I pray that you would give me clarity of thought and speech, that you'd help me to function in the anointing you place on my life to do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you look at this passage, you know, you almost just want to say, just be good. Just be good. Just be a good person, you know. But we can get in trouble if we do that. Verse 7 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. A lot of people in society uh, will say that much of the Bible is hard to understand and apply. And at times this can be true if you don't take context into account, if you don't take the meta-narrative, the grander story into account. Some things can be difficult to understand and apply. 
This passage is not that. And I'm not going to complicate it today. Verse 7 is basically saying everyone will have to stand before God and give account. We can't hide. Everything is visible to his eyes. And if we believe otherwise, we are misled and in essence do not understand the reality of who God is. Do not understand really what it means to be Christian even. It's essentially mockery to think that what we do is our own business and ours alone when it comes to God. I mean, that's some strong language, but I'm really just quoting the scripture. The words, a man reaps what he sows, could not be clear. If a farmer does not put a seed in the ground, he should not expect a plant. Not trying to insult your intelligence. I know you understand that. If he or she does not prepare the ground, his expectations should reflect that. If they don't use fertilizer, if they don't protect against birds and pests, it will affect their yield. The effort we put in, uncontrolled interferences notwithstanding, will be reflected in the results. And I mean, we had a, a not the, I, I don't want to put anybody on the spot, we had a full life on experience with this this week where one of us got gifted a little plant, not to put the spotlight on you there, miss. And she put it on the window and the blind got closed and the poor plant was stuck next to the cold window. And I came in, and I was like, where's your plant? And it was behind the blind next to the window. I opened it up and the poor, it looked so sad and droopy. I said, I'm taking this. And I took the plant and brought it in and put it on my desk, gave it some water and made it sure to sunlight, and now it's healthy and it's doing better. She didn't do it on purpose. But if you don't take care of the seed, if you don't take care of the work that's involved in growing, you can't expect results. Sorry, I should have asked your permission before I said that. <laughs> uh. Society likes to adopt the Eastern religion and philosophical term karma. Don't we love this word? You cannot turn on anything, TV anywhere, where the word karma is referenced. And it's just universal causal law by which good or bad actions determine the future modes of an individual's existence. So basically, if you do bad, bad will happen to you. If you do good, good will happen to you. And there's even a transmigratorial understanding of it that if you, if you do good now, you're investing in your next life. But you don't really know what that next life could be or whatnot. But. And let me just say that society gives way too much credit to the universe. The universe. Oh, the universe will take care of it. And I don't mean to be rude or anything like that, but the idea that if you do something bad to someone or something, whether you like it or not, it'll come around and get you in the end. The universe will exact justice. I mean, I don't know about you, but that sounds like the boogeyman to me. The thought that, you know, everything that I do is, is controlled by a... I don't know. What is the universe? <laughs> The universe will straighten it out. I mean, as if there's nobody really pulling the strings or doing anything or, or no orchestrator behind anything. I, I, I always wonder, you know, how in the world do we get to the idea of universe versus the idea of God? I often ask myself why people find the idea of karma so much more palatable than a man reaps what he sows. 
And I always keep, and I find myself always coming back to this one word, accountability. It's hard to be accountable to the universe. I mean, what happens will happen. Whatever will be, will be. That's the old song, right? Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. I'm butchering this song, can't you see? I don't know this. This song's beyond even before my time, right? So, But it comes back to accountability. This is why the beginning of verse 7 is so important. It acknowledges that God is the only righteous judge, and to fail to acknowledge our accountability to him is pure derision, is contempt, is to be blunt mockery. But the word doesn't just tell us to sow randomly or without purpose. It matters where we sow and how we sow, which is why Paul goes on to say in verse 8, whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And if we're going to understand this again, we've got to go back and talk about the Spirit and the flesh. Now, we talked about this last week, and we talked about the difference between the Spirit and the flesh. And I invite you to go back and check out that sermon online. And again, grateful that we have that opportunity and that option to do that. Or you can go back and read Galatians 5 at your leisure this afternoon and just look at what it says about what it means to live in the flesh, what it means to live in the Spirit, the fruits of the flesh versus the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, it's all there in Galatians 5. It's very clear. But for our purposes this morning, what I want us to understand is that when we talk about the flesh, to sow to please the flesh is to focus on our own desires. To focus on the Spirit, to sow to please the Spirit, is to focus on God's desires. And it's really that simple. You can focus on your own desires, or you can focus on God's desires. And where and how we sow can make positive or negative consequences. And one of the first things we learn as children is cause and effect, is it not? I mean, every parent alive has had this conversation before. You'd be like, don't touch that. No, 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 don't, don't touch that. No, don't touch. Oh, you touched it. Are you okay? Okay, come here. That's all right. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever, admit it now, parents, have you been like, you, you told your kids to just stop running out in the street so many times, you're like, fine, just go out in the street and get hit by a car. If that's the way you got to learn. You know, have you ever been there? Is it just me? Fine, run into the bush into the poison ivy. That doesn't work out for you either, because guess who's putting the ointment on after? Guess who's staying up all night with your child because they got poison ivy? That's never happened to me, thank God. If anything, I mean, my parent kids would have had to do that to me when I stood on the wasp nest that was in the ground one day, and I got stung nine times, but they were, they were very gracious to me. All they did was point and laugh. We learned cause and effect is real. If you do this, this will happen. Like I said, this is why, you know, you don't leave the block of knives next to the, 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 the edge of the counter because you don't want your kid to learn that lesson by cause and effect. Oh, you haven't seen sharp things before. Oh, here, here's a knife. You know, we don't want our kids to learn everything that way. I, I, I get so frustrated when people say, I'm the type of person that's got to learn by experience. No, you're not. No one is. 
And you know what, if I've had the experience of, of, of having stitches or, or, or doing something and having hard consequences, it's your opportunity and it's your joy to be able to learn from my experience so you don't experience that trouble yourself. One of the biggest lies is that you have to learn everything by cause and effect, but oh, we're stubborn people. We like cause and effect. We like it. You look in Jeremiah 35, we learn about the people known as the Rechabites. And, and when you look at the Rechabites, uh, they had strict rules for living in where the put in place were put in place by their forefather, Jehonadab, who was the son of Rechab, who the Rechabites get their namesake from. And God spoke to Jeremiah and said, and now this is in the context of, of um, exile, right? Like Nebuchadnezzar's at their door. Babylon is at their door. They're about to be exiled. They're about to be sacked and, and the whole place burnt, destroyed, and they're going to be exiled off into Babylon. And this is all about to happen. And God spoke to Jeremiah and said, go to the Rechabite family and invite them to come to one of the side rooms of the house of the Lord and give them wine to drink. Now, God knew they would never disobey the instructions of their forefather, Jehonadab, as displayed in the reply. And they say this in verse 6 in chapter 35 of Jeremiah, We do not drink wine, because our forefather, Jehonadab, son of Rechab, gave us the command, Neither you nor your descendants must ever drink wine. Also, you must never build houses, sow seed, or plant vineyards. You must never have any of these things but must always live in tents. Then you will live a long time in the land where you are nomads. We have obeyed everything our forefathers, Jehonadab, son of Rechab, commanded us. Now, most of us who live in Toronto don't want nothing to do with the Rechabites because that, we're basically campers for all their life. And we know what people in Toronto are like, you know, don't take me up north of Steeles. We, we, we mentioned to some kids one time about, in a youth group about camping. They're like, what? Where? What? Like past Thornhill? Are you serious? Like, oh, there's trees and water. They didn't want nothing to do with it. Now, I know that's not all of you, but, but the idea of living, camping your whole life, me, it doesn't sound too bad. I've learned some skills, but some people, you know, maybe not so much. But basically, this is the instructions that the Rechabites have been given. No wine. Don't plant seed. You're going to live a nomadic lifestyle. And God knew that they weren't going to go against these commands. He knew it. And so he told Jeremiah to bring him into the house of the Lord, give him wine to drink, and he knew that they were going to say no to this. God uses the Rechabites' obedience as an example and says this to the people of Judah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Go and tell the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, Will you not learn a lesson and obey my words, declares the Lord. Jehonadab, son of Rechab, ordered his descendants not to drink wine, and this command has been kept. This day, they do not drink wine because they obey their forefathers' command. But I have spoken to you again and again, yet you have not obeyed me. Again and again, I sent all my servants, the prophets, to you. They said, each of you must turn from your wicked ways and reform your actions. Do not follow other gods to serve them. Then you will live in the land I have given you and your ancestors. Do you hear the cause and effect? you got to realize that all the people say, oh, God is a God of destruction. God is a God of judgment. God is a God. Read the Old Testament, God. You won't like that God. 
but you miss the words then and you miss the words if. He's a conditional God that if you do what you are called to do, if you acknowledge your creator, if you acknowledge the God of all creation, there's always an if. He understands cause and effect better than any of us. But then he says, you have not paid attention or listened to me. And I could throw in, although there's generations of my faithfulness for you to go back and read and look at. Verse 16 says, the descendants of Jehonadab, son of Rechab, have carried out the command their forefather gave them, but these people have not obeyed me. God, through Jeremiah, was saying, look, these folks are faithful to a command that a man has given them, and you are unfaithful to the command that the God of all creation has given you. The Rechabites provide an example of obedience for the people of Judah, but they who should have been inspired by generations of God's faithfulness did not give credence to the voice of God. Instead, followed their own desires. They chose flesh. This is what led to the destruction of Judah. It led to the destruction of Israel some years prior. And ultimately, will lead to the destruction of anybody who follows the course of flesh. That sounds harsh, but again, I'm just quoting Scripture. We understand the Spirit in a different way now. And we experience the indwelt Holy Spirit who leads and guides us daily. Yet like the people of Judah, if we sow in the flesh, we will reap the rewards of the flesh, which is ultimately futility. Nebuchadnezzar was standing at the door of Judah with an army like they've never seen before. And still God would say to them that if you follow, if you come, the destruction does not have to come. But if, if, if. He's a God who understands cause and effect. He's a God who understands conditions. And he's a God who gives them more than enough ways away from the calamity that they're about to reap because of how they have sown. And the universe had nothing to do with it. But if we sow to please the Spirit, the reward, Paul tells us, is eternal life. The temptation we all have now is to fi- that we all face is to sow selfishly. And we say, well, what, what's wrong with sowing into myself? What's wrong with making me a better person? And I'm going to tell you right now, there's nothing wrong with making you a better person. I started reading a book yesterday called The Three Chairs by Dr. Karen Gordon that I am reading to make me a better leader. I invest in myself daily. I get up in the morning and I speak to my Savior because he deserves my attention, but also because for me, because I need him. There's nothing wrong with investing in yourself. There's nothing wrong with doing things to make yourself feel better and to be good. But karma and other ideas remind us to sow kindness as a means of self-preservation and some transmigratory investment. It is still focused on pleasing ourselves and is thus limited to our own finite influence and our own finite reward system. God says so eternally. God says to sow eternally. From the beginning of time, we've had eternity in our heart. The first sermon I preached here, I'll probably go back to it a thousand times. There's eternity in the heart of every man, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. 
It reminds you of the not-too-distant future, the past, pardon me, but it also reminds you, the word is ha-olam, of the extended eternity that's in front of you. And it's in your heart already, speaking to you and reminding you that there is a God who loves you. God says to slow eternally, so to please God, so selflessly, do good to please God. See how God will multiply the good things you do to influence others. See how much more he can do with what we offer him. We should do good to believers and non-believers alike, but not... But do it as a sacrifice of worship to God. Sow in the Spirit and let God bless our efforts. But no matter which way we sow, there is cause and effect, and the harvest, or lack thereof, will reflect your investment either in futility or in eternity. <clears throat> I can speak from ex experience that doing good to please God is one of the most freeing things I've ever experienced in my life. The pressure to be good because i got to convince people that I am something or because I feel like I need some personal reward or to make me feel good. But to do good because I'm inspired because of this great salvation to do good because I can't help but love the people that I'm around, that I see. Because I can't help but take the grace and the mercy of God that's in me and give it away. I want to be inspired to do good. I don't want to do good because it creates some future uh, existence for myself that I think is going to be better. I want to do good because I'm inspired to do good for, for the sake of a king. For a mercy and a grace that I don't deserve. I want all these things to inspire me to be the best I can be for my king. We talk about spirit and flesh, but we also got to talk about faith and works in this, right? Because, you know, if you misunderstand me today, you can say, oh, we reap what we sow, you know. Pastor, you're saying that you're saved by works, that you got to be all do all the good things and stuff like that. Well, I'm going to try and tell you to figure out a way that you can take works out of your salvation for me. I'll wait. There's no way that you can separate works from your salvation. I'm not saying that we are not saved by faith, that we are not saved by grace, I'm not saying that, but, but I think the scripture is very clear that works are very important. Some might be tempted to say, Pastor, this is a lot of focus on works. You know we are not saved by works. Well, let's add some perspective for a moment. Scott McKnight, make, McKnight makes a statement about faith and works, and he says, While works do not save us, no one is saved without works. Why? Very simply, because works are the sure indicators of a person's heart orientation and status before God. If someone says they're saved by faith, but do not have good works, what evidence is there that they're saved by faith? What evidence is there that grace has affected their life in any way? Our good works done to please the Spirit and not the flesh are indicators of our heart orientation and status before God. So, that, so to that I say again, let us not become weary in doing good, for at a proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The question I want to leave you with this morning is not, are you being good? It's not, are you being good? It's not, are you reaping what you sow? 
The question I'm not, I'm leaving, I want you to leave here is not, am I being good? Am I good enough for God? That's not what God is asking you today. He, you're not good enough for God. Neither am I. That's why I stand here. That's why when I preach up here, I cry so often because I'm aware of how sinful I am and how I don't deserve to, I should be able to even do this. I don't feel worthy to do this sometimes. His grace enables me to be up here. His grace enables me to live for him. I, I haven't done anything to earn anything before God. He gives it freely. There's no, if, 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 if Jesus didn't die on the cross and, and, and for some reason the Jewish people chose Barabbas over him and Barabbas was the one who was hung on the cross instead of Jesus, I would be no different today. Barabbas couldn't hang on the cross for my sins. There was only one. Barabbas, although his name maybe meant son of the father, he wasn't the son of the father. And only the son of the father, the perfect lamb, could have hung on that cross for me. I acknowledge that today, and it inspires me. Someone who was scared to death to ever stand up in front of a classroom and speak. He inspires me to get up here and open the word of God to you and to share it. He compels me. It is my joy. There is nothing that I feel God's good pleasure in doing more than what I'm doing right now. Do I still feel the terror of speaking in public? I don't know if I show it, but I do. I get anxious. I woke up this morning 45 minutes before my alarm clock goes off. It's so annoying. But I wake up anxious. I'm excited to do this because God has laid something on my heart. And the good I do, any good I do up here is because I love him so much. And I want this to be an indicator of my love for him. And if you feel his love in that, then that's all I want. I want you to experience the Spirit of God. That's it. I want you to be introduced to the one who has inspired me to do something I never thought I could ever do. The question I want to leave with you is not, are you being good? I know there's a lot of good people here. There's a lot of good people outside these walls. The question I want to leave you with today is, where are you sowing? Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. What goes around does come around, but it is not at the arbitrary bidding of the universe. We are all accountable to the God of mercy and grace and perfect justice. Where we sow matters. How you sow and why you sow matters. Where are you sowing this morning? Are we sowing to please the flesh? If so, we will reap from that which we've sown. It will be temporal and self-serving. I'm going to tell you right now that you, if you sow in the flesh and you sow and you give all your attention to making money, you can do that. 
You can be rich in this city. You can. If you do all, give all your attention to making money and making sure you have the things and you make sure that you can go to the places and you make sure you do all, nothing about that is bad. I don't want to, I'm not trying to say that any of that is bad, but if it becomes your attention, if it becomes who you worship and what you worship, if you put these things in the place of God, then you're sowing in the flesh. And I'm going to tell you that there's consequences of that. Your family will feel it. Your life will feel it. Your soul will feel it. And there will be eternal consequences if you put these things before God. But if you put God first, and you put all your decisions first, and you give him your first fruits, and you sow your attention into the King of kings and the Lord of lords and what he, the sacrifice that he made for you, and you, and you begin to think about it and meditate on it and realize that even though I'm so sinful, even though I don't deserve this grace and this mercy, I don't deserve the words eternal life mentioned in, in, in the same room as me. Even though I don't feel that way, God, you give it to me. You provide it for me. And I'm going to tell you, if you invite the Holy Spirit into your life right now, and you open your heart to him, and you let him communicate this unimaginable love to you, good will be different. The good you do will be different. It will be different. There's a lot of people who stand by side by side and they do the same work. One will take eternal joy out of it. The other will go home feeling good about themselves. I'm not saying that this is bad. I'm not saying that feeling good about yourself is bad. But I'm telling you, when you're inspired by the love of Jesus to love others without consequence, not worrying about whether they're going to reciprocate it, not worrying about what you're going to get from it, but love just because you can't imagine the love you've experienced yourself. Love and give it away freely because you can't describe the love that you feel every day when you speak his name and you speak to him and you read his word and you can't imagine living without him when you give that love away it changes people when people see you do good and not expect anything in return there's only one question is why we live in a world where a major network will cut out a young quarterback saying, I give all glory to God. And they jump past it. They literally cut it and jump past it. Because they don't want to acknowledge the God of all creation. This is the world we live in. We can fight things like that, or we can just love them more. How do you want to, how do you want to approach this? Are we sowing to please the flesh or are we sowing to please the spirit? If so, if we're sowing to please the spirit, the results will be eternally impactful. Your motivation will be the unmatched love of Jesus that inspires us daily to live with the same love under the leading of the Holy Spirit. So yes, be good to all people. To all people. God so loved all the world. Especially to those 
We're in a family of believers. Sometimes we can be so blind in this house. And I think Paul was dealing with the issues that was going on in Galatia. There needed to be some restoration. There were some leaders that weren't teaching the way they should. There was some conflict that was going on there. And he was looking at it and he's saying, you're not even treating each other well. How can you expect anybody to understand the love of Jesus out there if you can't even treat each other well? And I'm not saying that because I see anything specific here. I'm saying it because I read the word of God and it spoke to me. And God said, communicate this. And that's what I'm doing to the best of my ability today. But this is the question I'm left. You know, this is what Paul must have been feeling. You know, do good to all people. But man, if you can't do it in your house first, I don't know how you expect it to bleed outside these walls. Yes, be good to all people, especially to those who belong to family believers. But the harvest we reap will be reflective of where we sow and for whom we labor. If you labor for yourself, yeah, you'll reap some rewards. But at some point, they'll be destroyed by moth and rust. It'll all fade away. But when you sow into the kingdom of God and you sow because the God of all creation loves you and you're inspired to give that love away, you're sowing eternally. We are personally accountable to God. A person's final standing before God will be determined by that person's relationship to or faith in Christ as revealed and indicated in his or her works. Don't be afraid to be personally accountable to God. I, I want to make my life's mission to help people realize that it's okay to be accountable to God. We want our freedoms and we think saying yes to an all-powerful God takes away those freedoms. It doesn't. It gives you freedom to do things because he inspires you to do them rather than doing them because you think you've got to bolster yourself. It is one of my life's missions to help people realize that personal accountability to God is amazing. Don't be afraid to be personally accountable to God. He knows what you need better than yourself. And I've been dabbling around with doing a sermon series on the scriptures that I feel are misused a lot and people take them and just use them willy-nilly. And one of them is Psalm 37.4. And I don't, I'm not sure if I'm going to, when I'll, it'll end up being a sermon series at some point. But Psalm 37.4 is one of those verses, just take delight in the Lord and he will grant you the desires of your heart. And we hear this all the time. You know, you don't have because you don't ask. And we think of it in terms of material things. But what this verse is saying, delight yourself in the Lord is the most important part. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll grant you the desires of your heart because your desires will become his desires. It's not about the things you don't have and he'll give you what you've been striving for here on this earth. It's about the fact that your desires line up with him. You begin to live in the spirit and when you delight yourself in the Lord, you begin to feel his love and you won't be able to help but to give it away. And that'll be the indicator the people that you have the saving faith, the saving grace of Jesus Christ in your heart is your love. They will know us by our love. What we do for him, led by the Spirit, will reap everlasting results. 
He measures out boundless mercy and perfect justice. He does these things, not the universe. Trust him. So yeah, just be good. <laughs> just go be good. But ask why you're being good. Ask what inspires you to be good. Ask you if it's good himself. He is the only one who is good. Ask you as if it's his love, if it's his mercy, if it's his grace that inspires you to do good. Where do you sow? And where have you sown? Father, I thank you for your word today. Lord, there's not a, a sermon that I preach, oh God, that I don't feel you in the moment speaking directly to my own heart first. And today, Lord Jesus, I thank you, oh God, that I feel your inspiration, feel your grace, I feel your mercy, your forgiveness. I feel the joy in your heart that you have for me. A joy I don't understand always. But I need to go back to you to be reminded that you love me. And that you take joy in me. And I just take the utmost joy in being called your son, part of your family. And Lord, I pray that in everything that I do in this kingdom, Lord Jesus, it would be inspired by your love, by your mercy, by your grace. I entrust all the other things to you. Whatever else is good in this world that I enjoy, it's only because of your love. It's only because you allow me to have them. It's only because I've chosen to be accountable to you, Lord. Anything I have in this life that brings me joy and hope and goodness and mercy, oh God, I do them all. I have them all because of you. And Lord, many of the things that we have Lord, really don't matter. bring joy into our life. Joy in circumstances of God that maybe doesn't feel like they should be all that joyful circumstances, Lord, but that's when your joy really shows out, Lord, in the difficult times when people look at you and they say, how in the world can you be so happy? How can you be, have so much peace when all of this is crumbling around you and you get to say to them, because he loves me. Nothing can change that. So, Father, yeah, I love the idea of reaping what we sow. I love the idea that when I work hard, oh God, there's rewards for that. But, Lord, I'm only going to sow in you. I'm only going to sow where the Spirit leads. And I'm only going to put my efforts, Lord, where you want me to put my efforts. And today, Lord Jesus, my investment will be eternal. So, Father, the first person we need to be accountable to is you, and that's a personal accountability. But Lord, we have a mutual accountability to each other, to help and to care for each other as well. And I just pray that you would speak that into our heart, Lord, so that when we look out for each other, oh God, that we would realize that that begins with looking in at ourselves and where we stand with you first. 
be glorified in our midst today, O God. I pray that our good works will be indicators of the love of Jesus Christ that's in our hearts. We love you so much. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I go today, I just want to, if you're here, and maybe today, for the first time in your life, maybe you're experiencing a little bit of the joy that I'm talking about. Maybe you're saying, I've heard people talk about this Holy Spirit before, but I've never felt it before. And in this, in this morning, maybe you feel His presence for the first time, and you might not even know what you're experiencing. I want to tell you that it's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, and He's calling you home. Calling you back to a Creator and to a relationship that was severed years and years ago. He's calling you and telling you that He's made a way for you to come back and to fix that relationship. And He wants to invite you into the family of God today. So if you're here and you want to accept the Lord as your Savior, I'm just going to pray one more time. I'm not going to point you out or do anything like that, but I do invite you to come and see me after and tell me so I can rejoice with you. And I can help you maybe on your journey. But today you can make the best decision of your life, I promise you. When you realize that good is inspired by an all-loving God, it's an amazing thing. So let's just pray. Father, if we're here today, and we all just confess to you today our need of you, O oh God. We all say together that we have sin in our heart, and we need you to deal with it. Can't deal with the sin in our heart ourselves, Lord Jesus. That's why you came to this earth, and you died on the cross, and you took our sin on that cross, Lord, and you made a way for us to dwell with you for eternity, O oh God. We understand today that the wages of sin is death, but Lord Jesus, today we have the opportunity to accept eternal life. And so we do that. And we say, Holy Spirit, come into my life. Come into my heart today and change me. We invite you in fresh today. Holy Spirit, come. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. moments we get to, to hang out and eat some good food. We have such great volunteers here. Alan and Tina and their team do such an amazing job getting ready for Cafe Connect. Stick around. Let's just hang out together, eat some food, and enjoy each other's company. Amen. And if you did make a decision for Jesus today, come see me. Come talk to Pastor Connie. Come talk to Pastor Carrie Ann. You know, Pastor Orlando Fozzi or Dylan or anybody else here who looks like they might have a kind face, tell somebody that Jesus saved you today so we can celebrate with you. Amen? Amen. Let's just sing and worship God before we close.